Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Mi gente, it's your girl Odalis Jasmine, and you're listening to Hello Latino, where we talk about all things first gen, where we celebrate Latinidad, and where we highlight community excellence. Today, I'm talking to Dulce Orozco, a licensed mental health counselor from Venezuela. Her modalities include cognitive behavioral therapy, mindfulness-based therapy, acceptance and commitment, as well as cultural sensitive and strength-based therapy. This episode is a beautiful conversation about showing up for yourself, finding confidence and voice and power within yourself, and learning to own every single part of your story. I cannot wait for y'all to tune in. Let's get into it. I'm so excited to share this space with you, Dulce. I feel like it's really been a long time coming. I remember, I think it was Joshua, right, that introduced us? I remember when he told me, like, you have to meet Lulisa, you have to get her on the podcast. And then I met you and it felt like, why haven't I had you on the podcast already? So I'm excited to have you on the space. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much, Alalis. I was actually just emailing him and I was like, oh, what's going to happen? But thank (laughs) you, thank you, thank you. It's such an honor to be here because I feel that I've learned of so many amazing people through your podcast. So it's it feels great. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Well, let's start with the first question. How do you identify and why? Yeah, this is a loaded question for me, Odalis. I feel that I can talk about this for I don't know how many like, you know, how many hours, but Dale todo um, el chisme, let's talk about it. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> um, so the the rebel part of me feels that I como que necesito aclarar that you know it's it's a part of me identifies as something another part of me identifies as something else like it feels like a big commitment to say this is who I am so I don't know if that does that make sense yes 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 yeah yeah so and I I also feel that that gives us more flexibility and more like space to honor and see and be with and connect with and be in relationship to all these different parts of ourselves, right? Like even the ones that we don't really appreciate as much, perhaps. And I also feel that, you know, very briefly, you and I talked about everything that's going on in the world and not to get too heavy too soon, but I feel that having that perspective gives us more space to also understand other people's identities instead of being completely radical like this is who I am like I feel if we are able to recognize and remember and very be mindful with love that there's so many different parts of you right and then of me I'm a mom I'm a daughter I'm a friend I'm a therapist so yeah having said that 
it seems it feels like the biggest part of me right now identifies as a Latina because I've been here most of my life. I was born and raised in Venezuela, but the part of me that identifies as Venezuelan it feels smaller than the part of me that identifies as Latina right now. And I think part of that is also like that survival guilt, like the immigrant survival guilt, because I was here, I've been here since 2001. So I feel that having been here all that time while my family was there, it almost feels like, and I know, right? Like I'm completely aware that it doesn't, it's not necessarily the truth, but it, it also feels like. I'm I'm not Venezuelan enough because I was here for all that time. So if that, yeah. So that's that's part of it. There's another part of it too. Is that okay if I? Oh, tell keep you? going, Dulce. <laughs> dale, dale, dale. Oh, well, Alice, there's another part of this identity question, right? And it's how there's parts of me that I don't want to identify with anymore. Um, yeah, and I would invite you and everyone listening to also think about that because I feel that for so many of us, it's really hard to let go of these parts of us that perhaps, um, were very important for you a while ago or were a big part of you some time ago or are the way people see you, but perhaps you don't see yourself that way. You know, an example that I can give you is, so my name is Dulce. For those of you that might not know, it means sweet in Spanish. And Odalis, I've heard so many times, ay, dulce como su nombre, you know, like you're, you're sweet as your name. And like, you know, being a therapist and working with people, having that nurturer part of me is great. But I don't know if I want that to be the reason or the main thing that people remember about me. I don't want them to say like, oh, esa dulce tan antipática, right? Like not to that, not, not to that end. But yeah. I want them to also see that part of me that is trying to do things differently, the rebel, the disruptor, the change maker, I've been called a travel maker. And that even feels better than being, you know, dulce and, you know. So I would invite, again, you and everyone listening to give yourself permission to think about, is there any part of yourself that you want to lovingly say bye to? Dulce. Oh, let's talk about it. Was that it. too much, Alalis? We think no, we get too, too that, deep too that was, <laughs> You know, this is the first time on the podcast where someone said, this is what I don't want to identify with anymore. And I think that is, so beautiful. And you, you left me speechless because there are things that we unlearn and there are things that we like take off hats that we take off. We're like, mm, no, that one doesn't fit right. That one doesn't feel right. Yeah. And it's really beautiful that you mentioned how identity can sometimes put us in a box, right? When we say yes. like, oh, yep, this is it. Like, this is all we are. But what you're saying is that so much of identity comes through experiences, comes through different parts and chapters of our lives. And it's really beautiful how we can almost earn these badges, right? Like I'm a mom, I'm a daughter, I'm a friend, I'm a best friend, I'm a tia and I'm a woman. And, you know, you just start to kind of like own these different parts of your life that, that come clear, these different parts of identity that become clear. And I appreciate you saying that 
aunque eres dulce, that's not all you are, right? You can also be fierce. You can also be strong. You can also be a disruptor, as you said. That is so valuable. So valuable. Because we can all rewrite our own narrative, right? We can all choose what we want to be. And some days, la, la gente me dicen, tenemos mucha energía. Like, I have a lot of energy. I'm loud. I'm always mm -hmm. like, blah, blah, you know? And then they catch me on a day where I don't have that much energy. And I want them to see, like, I I'm also this too. It's Absolutely. all of it, right? Yes. Yes. <sighs> oh, and so many of the people I work with, and I feel there there might be, without generalizing, of course, but so many of us, you know, we might be the person that many people go to or the person, uh, the strong person that everybody relies on, right? Mm -hmm. um, and especially in um, creating or holding therapeutic spaces or spaces, safe spaces for people, it's really hard for some of us to say, I don't want to be the strong one anymore. In fact, I might need somebody to take care of me or I might mm -hmm. need to take a break or I might need to. So I feel that it's it's something to to be mm -hmm. Just something to think about when it comes to our identity. I want to ask you to say more about dulce and unlearning some of the things that you don't want anymore. And you you said, I invite everyone to kind of look at that and see what they want to kind of like take off, what badges they don't want anymore. Can you tell me about that journey of kind of stepping out of that box and saying, soy dulce y soy fierce and disruptor and a rebel, how did you start to kind of uncover these different parts of your identity? Yeah, I feel that it's relatively recent. So I turned 40 this year. Um, and I've been here since I was 17. So I came here after I graduated. And when I mean here, I mean, um, United States, Massachusetts. So I graduated from high school and Odalis' plan was that I was going to come, learn English and go back home to start college. But I actually ended up applying for a scholarship without telling my parents. Mm. So rebel. Uh, <laughs> that's a rebel in me, right? So the situation back home in Venezuela was not as bad as, of course, it is now. So the reason why I came is not the same reason as so many people are trying to leave Venezuela now or, or go to other countries. But that being said, you know, there, there was always this from my end, almost like this idealization of United States, right? It's like, mm -hmm. oh, my goodness, is the best country in the world or, you know, like this really idealizing United States. And I feel that with that, you know, and, and being 17 and being in this journey, like figuring things out on my own, I feel that it was almost easy for me to um, accept and almost think that everything here was better. And the way they did things here was the way to do it. And that here there wasn't any corruption or that there wasn't any, you know, like not the way things were back home. Yeah. And for a while, I try that. And for a while, I try to just do what everybody else was kind of like doing. Like even with, you know, I, I was also 
in the process of, so I came here with a working uh, student visa, then I had the OPD, then the working visa, then that like that whole process of following rules and doing things as everybody else is kind of doing them until I realized, well, things are not so perfect here mm-hmm. or things are not perfect. And there's different ways of doing things. And that came with guilt too, right? Because not many people would necessarily understand that I was quote unquote complaining or saying that things in the United States were not perfect when back home people did not have basic, they, they were unable to meet their, their basic needs. So yeah. it's it's complicated. There's so many layers to it. But little by little, I was able to explore that perhaps I could explore different ways of doing things. And that was also after being in toxic working spaces where I wasn't able to go to meetings because I was called troublemaker and problematic when it feels that I was voicing what many people were not voicing. But that that's when I, I realized, well, Obviously, things are not perfect here or anywhere, right? So I've been trying to follow what everybody else is doing and it's not necessarily working for me. So can I channel that inner revel in me, the 17-year-old that came here and connect with her and see what else is there? Can I explore new things? And of course, with so much support from people around me that are amazing and also creating community with like-minded people, at least that for me has been life-changing. So, you know, what I think is the most beautiful thing that you're talking about is that some of these tools help you in different moments of your life. Hmm. And I feel like that's, the beauty of identity and the beauty of just experiences that we have as humans is that we we get to kind of acquire these tools and being Dulce may have helped you, may have helped you earn some Absolutely. of those friends and jobs and and spaces. But it also, it's one thing I always say, you got to learn how to play the game to change the game. And you learn mm. like, hey, this got me here, but Dulce no me va a llevar hasta allá. You know, like I need to have a different fierceness or a different fearlessness or both like you just start to use these different tools for different parts of your life and I think that's what you're talking about and it's super beautiful it's beautiful to explain how identity is almost like a toolbox y escoger lo que necesitas in different parts of your life you are poniendo más right you can always like yes. keep adding more or taking some off also, that is, I think that becoming a mom for me was a, mm. a very important part on that process because, so my husband is Brazilian. He was born and raised in Brazil and we came here around the same time and we have two daughters. So our daughters are seven and five and we're both raising daughters in a country where we were not born. And right now we have a little more help, but we have very, you know, few family members here and not a lot of support. So when they were born, it was very, very important for both of us that they knew where they came from. But that 
in order for me to teach them, I needed to be clear on where I came from. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. that really made me take a closer look at my own identity and at my own journey, right? So that was definitely an important moment. (laughs) Well, let's, well, let's dive deep into it. Let's start with your immigration here in the United States. Tell me about those first few experiences and being, you know, an immigrant. Yeah. So I came here originally was to learn English. I I took, I, I had the privilege of taking English classes back home. So my parents were both university professors and were in a, it was a public university, but in Venezuela, public universities were great. They were very, very good. And I took English classes there. So I had, I had, you know, I spoke a little bit, definitely not. I did not have the English level to be in college, but I I was. So I, I applied for a scholarship. I got the scholarship. And in order for me to keep the scholarship, I needed, you know, a high GPA. And that, that I, I did it. And, you know, education was very, very important growing up in my home. So it was kind of like a given that, you know, having good grades was kind of like the only way to do things. So yeah. <laughs> when, you know, having the scholarship, todo, right? you hear it all exactly. the time. <laughs> so with the scholarship, keeping good, good grades or that extra, like that did not feel like extra pressure at the time. I, I don't think I had the maturity to process that it was different because it was in a different language, a different country. So for example, yeah. something that was challenging, especially at the beginning was writing papers. Because, you know, if the paper needed to be, I don't know, like four pages long, mine would be 10. Because I I feel that in Spanish, we say, we use so many words and, <laughs> right? So it took me a while to understand, oh, no, 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 this is how you do it. And now looking back, I kind of like appreciate the fact that I was able to graduate and that I was able to do these things that perhaps at the time felt kind of like, well, of course you need to do it. But now it's, it's, I can look, I can look at it differently. You know, what's, what's beautiful that you're talking about is like this, this like access to education and how it's so important in our household and how it was your access to coming to the United States, which I think is a really important piece to immigration because sometimes there's a stereotype of our community, right? Like vienen aquí because son pobres or this and that, or this, like they're fleeing something and all of that is true. And there's other reasons why folks immigrate here and understanding that immigration story I think for just our community and people outside of our community, it's important to know there's so many reasons why they come to the United States, why they go to the UK, why they go to different places around the world, because either families there, communities there, refuge is there, or access is there. And thank you for sharing that and and sharing the the educational piece from it. Now I want to know after education was over and Dulce got you in these spaces, you graduated summa cum laude talk about it 
now now kind of i can going... say it like before yeah. i was like oh whatever right and i'm like oh, right no, this is kind of like important like yes. you know like that got yes. me places yeah i mean like that's why i have my my scholarship like for the fourth year so yeah now i recognize yeah. it <laughs> and you know education let's talk about it because la educación la verdad es todo because for me education i know there's a lot of people who don't have access to it and i do have the privilege of also i went to four year university and i think for me and i tell people this all the time young people i'm like la universidad me enseñó like things outside of the classroom i got my good grades i got my i got my stuff kind of locked in and loaded but what i learned was all the other things that come with being in the college setting. It's learning how to be independent, getting access to people, a whole network of people that you would never meet otherwise. Like I used to say my network was my church and my family. Like I didn't have anyone else that went to college or had these salary jobs or corporate jobs. And so for me, it was just access to these different resources that I've never would have been exposed to. And I think it's just education is powerful, but there's education in so many different ways. It's not just through sitting in a classroom. It's through what you learn and what you attain and also the people you meet and the communities you build. Like there's so much more in that space of learning. And I want to ask you, because you talked about your corporate experiences and almost having these negative experiences that led you to where you are now. Talk about what happened after college. Yeah, so after college, I um, applied for an OPT, which stands for um, Optional Practical Training. So as an international student, you have the option of um, basically be able to, you're employable. Is that is that how you say it, employable? So you can stay for an extra year and a company can hire you. And so I'm I am I'm in Massachusetts and there's I graduated with major in psychology and a minor in studio art and in Massachusetts there's a very well known psychiatric hospital it's called McLean Hospital and they it's a teaching hospital partner with Harvard and all these amazing you know hospitals around here and basically i needed to i needed them to sponsor me odalis but you know i had very little guidance so in my mind i was like okay i'm going to do a very very good job and then like halfway through so around like 6 months later i can ask them to sponsor me and you know like of course they're going to say yes because they're going to be so impressed by my work ethic and so on and I had a I had a great experience there, very wide environment. So I only got to speak Spanish once mm -hmm. in my whole year there, right? It was yes, a Mia. partial program. <laughs> See, it was a partial program. Do you know what a partial program is, Alvalis? Mm -mm. Have you heard of it? it? So it's basically, it's considered a hospitalization, but you only go there throughout the day. So oh, it's for okay. people that might not be, you know, might not be as bad to be 
like admitted at a psychiatric hospital full time, but mm -hmm. need something more than seeing a therapist once a week or twice a week. So it's um, mm -hmm. like all day, like eight to three or so. And there's groups and there's a psychiatrist and I work there. And halfway through, I, you know, I, I followed my plan, of course, not without talking to anyone because I didn't have guidance or I didn't have like people that I could talk to this about in my mind it was like such a good plan and when I asked them they were like no we're not gonna sponsor you because they had so many I mean like looking back of course they were not gonna do it because they were partnering with Harvard and they had people with I don't know like three PhDs or like whatever three masters and so in you know I was not their priority And they were nice about it. And they were like, you know, we cannot do it. So that's when, um, for me, I, I knew that I wanted to continue with my studies, but not in the way it happened. So basically what happened is that by the end of my OPT, I, in order for me to stay legally in the country, I needed to, I, I did not have too many options. So going back to school, was perhaps the easiest one and that's when I decided mm -hmm. to do my master's again very little guidance I did not have a scholarship at the time so I was able to apply like most of the applications have already passed so I apply for a school that is not very well known or recognized for mental health and I graduated with a master's because of again so little guidance uh, I graduated with a master's But I wasn't license eligible, which doesn't make any sense. I don't think right now that's even something that schools can do. Uh, because what's the point of having a master's if you're not license eligible, yeah. right? So I did <laughs> right. a master's in mental health counseling. But um, unfortunately, at the end of it, I was not license eligible. So at the time, after I had my master's, I started working at a Latino partial program. So similarly to what I was doing, but everything in Spanish. And it was it was a, an interesting experience. I learned so much because we were very understaffed. There were only two clinicians, me and somebody else full time, and we were doing everything, right? And because it was the only Spanish speaking program in the state, We dealt with things that perhaps were not, you know, so many things happened there. And I'm very grateful because I learned a lot from it. They sponsored me. Uh, at the same time, I was going to school doing my CAC so I could be license eligible. That stands for a Certificate in Advanced Graduate Studies. Um, and yeah, and things got messy the organization and i know you said corporate so this is more in the healthcare system um which by the way some things in the healthcare system here do not work well right let's um, talk about it right <laughs> <laughs> especially if i feel that is that if you If you don't speak English or if you know very little English or it's it's so easy to get lost on that system. Oh, 
So I wasn't happy, but at the same time, it was not easy to find somebody that could sponsor me or an organization that could sponsor me. I would go to interviews. I would, you know, they were like, great, they would say, yes, let's move on. And whenever I brought up the sponsorship, they were like, no, we're not doing that. And I had my boyfriend at the time. He was a citizen and he was like, we can get married, right? And I was like, I don't want to get married just because of that. Let's wait. Let's wait. So I would go back home crying from everything that happened at work until it got to the point that we got married, not just because of that. We were going to get married eventually, but we decided to speed up the process a little bit. And and yeah. (laughs) But throughout that, that, that whole thing, I was called a travel maker, I was asked, or I I was not allowed to go to meetings, right? Because I was quote unquote inexperienced and I was quote unquote problematic. And I feel that ultimately it's because I was saying things that many people were not saying. And I was in spaces where just white males deciding or talking about things for a Latino community, having very little idea of what was involved in in that whole process. Oy, Dios mio. You know, just to share with you, speaking of Latinos in the healthcare system, it's such an interesting intersection there because I, I recently was just talking to a friend who's also Latina. We both grew up in San Diego. And I was like, you know, did you grow up going to hospitals or doctors? And she's like, no, only for my clinics, right? Like you would go for your physical and the school needed these paperworks and you would just do that. But I never grew up going to the doctor. And there was this almost tension with my family and los doctores. And I would hear this all the time growing up. And my mom, you know, like when we had a stomach ache and like, I don't know, maybe American families would take their kids to the hospital. Si no se estaban sintiendo bien, if they weren't feeling good. But my mom, she would be like, okay, ahorita te doy baking soda, te doy un, una coca con huevo. I don't know if, that, if everyone does that, but she used to do that. A Coke and then a broken egg in there. I never had it because... I was la rebelde. I was like, no, I don't want that. But there's there was this almost like tension of like, no, we can't afford it. No, they don't understand us. No, it's just too much. No, we can do it at home. And that mindset stayed with me in the healthcare system. Like as an adult, if something was going on, the first thing I would do is I would call my mom, like, mommy. Or if this is happening, what should I do? But there was almost this distrust with the healthcare system because it's Mm -hmm. so hard to navigate. And it feels as if it's not always inclusive to our communities. Did you feel Mm -hmm. that working internally? Like, how was your relationship with the healthcare system? Yeah. So if Something interesting happened. Well, having worked there, right, and being able to see the behind the scenes, it's almost like it gave me this understanding and almost like this compassion because it seems that many of us just blame it on the doctors or blame it on, oh, esos doctores, oh, como es posible que me vean tan poco tiempo. They saw me for like just 10, 15 minutes, when in reality, 
it's 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 the whole system it's the the level like there's productivity right like there's a, a minimum number of clients you need to see of patients you need to see daily that number is higher for a psychiatrist so they are expected to spend very uh, the, the the time i feel i think if i'm not mistaken for the psychiatrist i work with that so many times i had to translate because they there wasn't anybody to you know and and this was before the virtual translators right where you go and <laughs> but odalis i think it's the average like the average time that they were expected to spend with the, the patients were 10 to 15 minutes and oh. you haven't seen someone for three months that's not enough so i eat on one hand it taught me to have compassion and understanding and tolerance and all these different emotions for also everyone involved the amount of work that that is there uh, especially for the 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 person that says hi to you the nurses that do so much work right and so that that that's definitely number one but my experience of that is was almost and i completely understand where you're coming from what i saw most what i saw the most or the most common thing that i saw was this extreme um respect for doctors to the point where no questions asked what they said was almost like like you know what i mean it was like well yeah, usted yeah, el doctor de, and and to the point where yeah like it was like oh c c c c even if they dis disagree with the doctor because when mm. i was translated the minute the doctor left they were like oh dulce but you know like this is actually what happened i was like why didn't you say something now you wait have to say that's it. so that's um, so real i'm so happy you mentioned that because when i'm business i started to have to go to the doctor's appointments in my mom because i'm like mommy les contaste bien and she's like como si si le conté i go and i'm like she is lying to this doctor and i would tell the doctor like no this is what she's going through but there's that weird what is that what is, what is that like oh, yeah such an interesting I, dynamic very interesting i feel is is almost like this extremely high respect for doctors mm -hmm. i don't know but i feel that growing up when whenever people said or in my family uh, yeah like what do you want to be when you grow up it was like professions like doctor attorney like there were some yeah. professions that were seen with this extremely high respect and it was like an authority figure and One of the things that happened to me for the longest time, Odal, is because people would say me, would tell me Doctora Dulce, and I was like, no, 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 yo no soy doctora. But for the mm -hmm. longest time, because in Venezuela, my parents or like some family members would say, well, la psicóloga. But the reality is here, here I'm not a psychologist. In order to yeah. be a psychologist, I would need a PhD. I do not have a PhD. I have a master's and I have a CACS. I do not have a PhD. And for a very long time, I felt less than because it was almost like mm -hmm. this comparison, even though I was doing what I was what I wanted to do, but I feel is this 
deep respect where even if it was so interesting because it was even like across generations, even if the doctor was younger than the the, the person I was helping to translate, you know, like like even with that element there, it was almost like I'm doctor I'm not gonna tell the doctor that, you know, or or they would tell me like, see sí, no me tomo las pastillas for tres meses. I haven't taken my medications for three months. So the doctor would get there. <laughs> And, so are you taking your medication? Yes, 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 right? So it was like, it was very interesting. But I feel that partly, and per, I'm sure there's some more other things there, but I feel that partly mm -hmm. is that almost like this respect and this, it, it's an authority figure. Yeah. And Ay, the, the power dynamics that are Power created. dynamics. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Those power dynamics are real. I want to I wanna quickly segue into something that you just mentioned. And you said that, you know, in your, in your family or at home, era la psicóloga. And you were like, no, 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 I'm not. And you felt like you were less than. You mentioned earlier in the podcast how you didn't feel like you were Venezuelan enough because you, were, you weren't there when there was so much turmoil going on in Venezuela. And you feel like you're Latina. And there's this feeling and common theme of not feeling enough. How did you start to combat those feelings of not feeling enough and reminding yourself like so suficiente más, like you are more than enough? How did you talk to me more about that journey? Yeah, I, I feel that I'm still part of that journey, at least because, mm -hmm. yeah, so I, I feel that I'm definitely still going through it. I feel that it it got to for me it was so after my oldest was born i decided to open up my private practice doing it like the way everybody else was doing it which was taking insurance and being a generalist especially because i spoke spanish and um i depending on the day i speak portuguese or portuñol it all depends but Hola. Uh, <laughs> well, after after 14 years, I had to learn, but but it was like this. Another thing that happened was that because I spoke Spanish, I would see everyone. So substance abuse, teenagers, couples, OCD, like it wouldn't matter, like if it was my area of specialty or not. And that's kind of like what I, I transitioned and I took all of that and I took it into my private practice, not really thinking about what do I want to do? Who do I want to work with? But during the pandemic, I really revisited all of that. And I was like, well, what is it that I'm doing? What is it that I want? wanted to do and I realized that what I really wanted to do was working with women of color and from immigrant families um, helping them to feel unique and helping them to really embrace their magic and I feel that having gone through that process for my business I needed to go through that process for myself but I still I still feel that I'm learning to feel enough to be compassionate with myself. For me, that has been, ah, that has been one of the biggest learnings and lessons. But I feel that I'm still going through it. Are we ever done? I don't know. Mm. I'm like, are we ever done with that? I don't I, think I, so. I ask my therapist all the time, I'm like, so when is it like, I've healed. I'm done. It's over. 
Yeah, no. And I think at the same time, that's the beautiful part of life is that you never, you're never done being the student. And sometimes you get to be the professor as well. And you get to be both. And I think that's what you essentially are. You're going through the journey and you're helping others go through the journey as well. Now, where did that fire, that decision and conviction come from for you to be like, I want to work with women of color. I want to work with Latinas, with people who come from the same backgrounds as me. When did that, why did that start and when did it start? Yeah, so very organically, well, after that year working at that hospital that I told you, I was like, this is a waste of my of my resources right like it's Mm. a waste of like speaking spanish is a waste of and i love that and i had a very like i learned so much but i was like i know like there's i'm so i i'm convinced like there's no doubt in my mind that i can use all of this my cultural background in a much more powerful and useful way so transition in it was a very drastic transition when I started working at the Latino partial program and that's all I did so I saw the need for it I saw how it just helps right and and I'm not saying that um, having a therapist that is not from your same cultural background is is bad or is you know harmful by any means we can all have what we need at times but I feel that it can when is the right therapist because it has to be the right therapist regardless of what cultural background the therapist it can definitely help not having to explain yourself all the time not having to justify and not having to not spending 20 minutes kind of like building up like the story right when you have only like 20 minutes left to process yeah but I I had that and uh, it's it's really what I think I enjoy the most and luckily I feel that is one of the things I do best one thing that that people something that people tell me is Dulce why don't you just work with Latinas and Odali is the reason why I haven't completely done that yet is because I feel that there's so there's so like there's the demand for therapists of color and for for you know therapists from immigrant families is so big that I work with women that are not Latinas and and we get along great. And I feel is the commonality of being from an immigrant family, feeling like the other, feeling like you don't belong. So one-on-one, I do not just work with the work I do. So I also work with groups and the work I do with groups, it's mostly with Latinx employees, but also with employees from immigrant families. But I feel it's having that, the magic that can happen when you create and when you co-create, because I feel that is a co-creation of that safe space. Oh, yeah. You know, that's such a, it's such an important point that I want everyone to pay attention to is that your therapist is just, it's someone that you just know, like, I'm like, yes, you're my therapist. Like I, at first I thought that you just need anyone to help you. And I joined therapy. It was a free resource in my college. And I had a therapist who was a white woman. And I didn't realize how much I was explaining myself to her, right? Like things that maybe, it's not a bad thing, but things that she didn't understand. 
And at one point she told me like, she talked to me about boundaries with my family. And I was like, wait, what? Like, what do you mean? She's like, you can cut off your mom if you need to. And I was like, get the pasta. Like I could never, nor do I want to. But to me, it was one of those things where I was explaining how it just culturally, it doesn't necessarily work like that. And it didn't feel comfortable for me. I didn't like it. And it was almost like a, I don't know, like there was almost a disagreement in the space. Mm -hmm. And then I I ended up finding a therapist who I've had her for the past year. And she's a black woman. She doesn't understand the Latino experience, but she does understand what it's like to be a woman navigating a space that wasn't built for her. Yes. And it is so beautiful to meet someone who's also first generation, who has navigated so many spaces like solo, you know, just uncharted territories and to feel seen by her and to feel community, right? Of like women who are black and brown and just uniting in a certain way and connecting in a certain way. And it just made me empathize with her journey as well as mine. And it's that co-creation you're talking about of like a safe space between both of us and a space that I feel like we all need more of, whether it's this conversation and this cafecito and chisme, or it's, you know, in a therapy session, or it's, you know, charlando con tus amigas, or it's outside somewhere, just hanging out with your friends. I think it's, we all need those safe spaces in communities where we just may not share the same exact cultural background or language, but we understand the experience of just coexisting. Absolutely. Right? Oh, yes. And something that, <sighs> you know, I, I am fully aware that, unfortunately, in many places, there's waiting lists that many of us might feel that in order for us to see a therapist, like you don't have the privilege of choosing, right? But if you can... Something that I tell everyone of Alice is interview your therapist, ask mm-hmm. questions. Therapy, the way I think of therapy is an investment of, it can be a financial investment, is definitely an investment of your emotions, your time, your mm-hmm. energy. Let's try to see if we're a good fit. Something I offer is a free consultation. I'm fully aware that we're not going to know. In, you, you're not going to know me and I'm not going to get to know you in 15 minutes. But hopefully yeah. it's going to give us a space to ask each other questions. For me, it's a red flag if a therapist tells you, okay, let's meet this time at this day without having <laughs> done any previous, like, you know, like, like just like talking a little bit. And I'm fully aware that many groups work that way because of the capacity they might have or, you know, you name it. But if you are in the process of looking for a therapist, Try to see if you can ask questions. Don't be afraid or don't be hesitant to ask them. So what what experience do you have working with people like me, right? Like, why mm-hmm. why are you a good candidate for me? I'm in this journey, like, and I know that those questions might seem harsh for, you know, when you're looking for a therapist, but I feel that it's important for us to try at least, and sometimes even asking those questions, that doesn't guarantee that, you're going to end up working with the right therapist at the very first time around. But I feel that it can help. And that sometimes we we avoid having those not so comfortable conversations. Yeah. I love that you also shared some questions that we can ask therapists. Are there any 
What has therapy done for you? I'm really curious because I can talk all day about what therapy has done for me and you being a therapist yourself. What has it done for you as a therapist and also as someone who has been through therapy? Yeah. Oh, you know, it amazed it. Well, on one hand, it's surprising. And on the other hand, it isn't. But it's like, <laughs> really? I'm a therapist. I've been a therapist for a long time. And I didn't <laughs> see this. <laughs> Why? Like what? I wasn't able to see these on my own. And then it makes sense. Um, but even um, realizing some previous trauma of Ali's that I never saw as trauma. It's, it's, it's helped me with this way. It really helps me. It has helped me with the guilt. So I feel that guilt has been kind of like my partner for for a while and I'm never gonna forget something that my therapist said once and and she was like Dulce you're you're just talking about everything you should have and everything you don't have and what you thought you were gonna have now but what if we talk or we think a little bit about um, how different things might have been if you have taken different choices when you got here so young and when you were doing. So it, I feel that Odali's therapy has given me a space to look at things from a different perspective. Whenever I'm talking to someone, I feel that the people I work with on one-on-one -on -one therapy, they're either... They've done a lot of work on their own. So they either have thought of therapy for a very long time and are very, very aware that they want to work with a Latina therapist like myself because of our cultural background, or they've had a bad experience in the past with a therapist that was not the right fit for them. And again, very intentionally, they're looking for me. So when I yeah. try to talk about therapy, something that I tell them is, I'm hoping that therapy can help them see things differently. And the example I, I typically give them, Odalis, is so if if I would ask you to describe the room in front of you, you would say something, I'm sure, and you would, you can give us details. If I would ask you to please move to the left corner of that room and <laughs> describe that same room, um, I'm sure that perhaps you would be able to see things differently. It's the same room. Nothing has changed. What has changed is your perception or the way you're looking at it. And I feel that therapy yeah. can help us with that. And it's mm -hmm. what has done for me. So it makes me sad to think that so many people think of therapy as a luxury and yeah. that unfortunately it is the case for many, many people. I, just, I, I would hope that that wasn't the case because I feel that we yeah. can all benefit from therapy. Well, it is, it is a luxury. And I talk about that all the time that, you know, my parents, for example, my tios, my tias, my brothers, my older ones, they didn't have the space or even the time or money to sit down for an hour and talk about their life. Like I, at one point asked my mom, I was like, oh, you know, I never asked you questions about, you know, your life in Honduras or like the juventud, but it was because my mom was so busy. I never had the time or I saw that she never had the time to sit down and talk about things. She was tired. My dad was tired. Yeah. My, my hermanos, like it was just, it, it was a luxury of not just monetary, but it's a luxury of time 
to be able to sit down with someone for an hour and talk about all the things, right? But I hope we get to a place where there's more access. And I think people like you say are really changing that and changing that narrative and stereotype of that therapy is only for the luxury or only for the people of a certain class or socioeconomic level. I think it's something that we should all have and all have access to. And it should be destigmatized across the board, right? Absolutely. Uh, and I also thank you for the work you're doing. Is, oh, can I can I add something to what you of were course. saying about your mom? I I also think that it was hard for people before to see the value of talking to someone that because I feel that if so many of us we did not you know we grew up with the mentality of you don't talk about problems that happens at home, outside of the nope. house so it was like kind of like what is what is even the point like why mm-hmm. would you you know what I mean like I feel that like uh, I'm pretty sure I've heard that in my in my family too of it. yeah like what's mm-hmm. the point like why sit in that right like there's there's that perception too of not that it just makes you soft but there's just no time like we don't have time to cry like we have to make money. We have to work. Yeah. We have to do this. We have to do that. Yes. Oh my goodness. That is such a, it's an, it's an ideal that's like just passed on through generations. Cause for a long time I was like, I don't need therapy. You know, my parents didn't do therapy and there's almost that guilt, right. Of doing therapy. Uh, totally. And that's, and that's where that, you know, when, when the therapist talked about boundaries, I was like boundaries with my mom, like, no, like, I don't want to do that. Because not because of it was a cultural expectation, but because there was also guilt attached to doing that because I'm like, my mom did so much for me, for me to only be like, no, mom, I'm not talking to you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, there was, there was that guilt. Now, what I understand now is that there's boundaries that look different and it doesn't have to be a complete bye. I don't want to talk to you ever again. But I think it's it's one of those things where guilt kind of overrides so much. And you talked about that. How do you kind of, how do you navigate guilt and pressure, which I think is so innate to immigrants, to first generation? Mm. So for the longest time, Odalis, I was trying to um, avoid it, 100%, just like avoid it. And the, the example I give And by is avoiding it, if- you just kind of like put it in the side? Yeah, like kind of like not see it, right? Like the example I give is it felt that almost like guilt was knocking at my door. And I I was like, nope, nobody's home, right? Like I was pretending not to be home, like turn it off the lights, like just like like, being super quiet. Not today. And, And it felt that whenever I did that, it just got louder and louder it was like almost like no I know you're there and like I'm not gonna leave until you open so I've learned that being able to accept that guilt and connect to that guilt and letting guilt in right like it's like okay I know you're gonna leave at some point you can hang out I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit down with you today and I'm not feeling like it some other some other days Mm -hmm. I could be like okay well you know like let's let's see what's what's there but I feel that connecting to it has helped me. And also knowing mm. that there's other emotions there too. I can feel guilty and and perhaps be hopeful at the same time. That's another mm. thing that I've been that for me has been a very good lesson, Adalis, and that I talked about with the people I work with. It's 
so many of us, and I'm going to talk for myself, but um, it, it felt that I needed to be grateful, right? I needed to be grateful because I was here. And I feel that that's partly where the guilt was coming from. It's like, how can yeah. I, like, how dare I to complain or how dare I to even see something wrong when um, literally my family back home, they were not, I remember Odali standing at the supermarket trying to choose if I wanted 30% unsweetened almond milk versus whatever, like coconut milk. And I felt so guilty because I knew that my family back home, that they were really struggling to, to buy basic things or even like going, you know, going, I don't know, like to a restaurant. And I have learned that I can be so grateful for what I have and one better and one more and <sighs> yes be ambitious that one it doesn't have to be either or and i feel that with guilt is similar i can learn to have this guilt that i know might be with me and at some points i can feel the peak and i can be hopeful and i can be happy and i can learn to welcome new opportunities right and and making new connections but i don't think that the guilt will I, i'm not expecting the guilt to completely go away yeah you know you said something powerful and i this reminds me of my therapist she always tells me to make anxiety my friend i have a lot of anxiety mm -hmm. and i didn't even know I had anxiety until I had a therapist and I'm like, oh, that's what that is? Like, oh my goodness. For a long time, I thought it was just- Like, what? This thing yeah. that I mean, like, you know, <laughs> living with? <laughs> because what, you know, it's funny because people would tell you dulce, right? Like, so it's bien dulce. And you're like, wait, I'm also a rebel. I'm also all these things. For me, people would always say I'm very calm and collected on the outside. And I'm like, si supieran that like inside, I am going like bananas. But it's it's interesting because she told me, similar to you, with my anxiety, it would be knocking on the door and I would just be like, nope, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. <laughs> and I learned how to make it my friend because what my therapist taught me is that anxiety is there to protect me. Now, where is that protection coming from? It always goes mm. back to childhood. It always goes back to those like early experiences and with guilt, similarly, like there's a lot of guilt and anxiety that I feel. And sometimes it's all intermixed. And I've learned to say, because one thing I used to say a lot was like, similar to you, why am I complaining? My mom came here, she was pregnant, had five kids, and she was a single mom. And she was in the country she didn't understand. And I have all these opportunities. And, you know, I would kind of talk myself out of things a lot of the time. And now what I tell myself is like, I am so grateful. I'm so blessed that I have so much access. And I come from a powerful woman who was a single mom with five kids, pregnant, navigating a country and a language she didn't understand. And she did it. And I come mm. from that power. And it's just rewriting the narrative for yourself so that you don't undermine your story and you don't undermine who you are. Oops, sorry. And you don't undermine your, just your capabilities, but you also acknowledge that there's power and acknowledge that you're tired and acknowledge that you have these different opportunities than Absolutely. other people. Can I offer something else? Oh, that yeah. 
I, I wonder if at some point it might feel comfortable to even take it to the next level and adding another and, right? And like, mm -hmm. and I give myself permission to do it my way. Whatever your way might look like that day, because ah, that's yes. the thing with yes, guilt. Yes, yes. Sometimes it's like, okay, guilt, come in and sit down because if you can't be hanging out in the living room, I'm going to go upstairs <laughs> and, you know, we're not going to be <laughs> in the same room. Yeah. So a lot of times it's like, guilt, come here. I'm watching whatever. Jane the Virgin, come join me. <laughs> but yes. um, it's, it's, can you give yourself permission and flexibility to do it your, your way, whatever oh. your way looks like without that judgment? Because guilt and judgment Amen. are besties. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's real because, you know, I think it's that's the powerful part about being first generation and being whether you're a child of immigrants or an immigrant yourself is that, you know, you know, these two different, almost two different lives. You're almost the bridge between these two cultures, two experiences, and you get to decide similar to what we were talking about at the very beginning. You get to decide like, I want that. I want that hat. And I don't want this hat. And I'm going to go on this bridge and I'm going to cross it and I'm going to create my own path. And it's going to be a blend of these two beautiful experiences and cultures and identities that I'm navigating. And I think that's the powerful part that we have is that we get to learn and have like this almost one foot in both worlds. And mm. we get to decide how we want to walk. Right? Yeah. And it's okay if you want to sit. <laughs> Sometimes you don't have to walk. It's okay. Go to you this take is why a we break, need you. Right? This is why we need you. It's okay to sit. <laughs> yeah. And you don't I, have to do it on your own, Odalis. That's the thing. Like, you know, maybe uh, yeah. you need a little help figuring out how to sit. Are you going to sit crisscross applesauce? Do you need a share? Do you yes. want to? So it's okay. It's okay. You can ask for help. And that's why a therapist is important to me because growing up, how often did we ask for help? And you talked about your story, oh, yeah. right? Of just like, I thought it was a good idea. I mean, I didn't ask anyone. I didn't have resources. And how many of us go through those experiences just like, when will like, we'll, we'll see because I don't really know who else to ask or who else to talk to. And whether it's a therapist, a trainer, a friend, like being able to lean on someone and saying, Absolutely. hey, can you help me with this? Or hey, do you know how to do X, Y, Z? There's so much pressure in like figuring it all out by yourself. But like you said, we get to choose a different way. Yes. It might not be easy, but it's possible. Yes. Well, I know we're over, over time, but I love this conversation so much. And I want to close it with a beautiful brindis, which I have my, yes. <laughs> mi chocolate. <laughs> I want to give you the space. What do you want to cheers to? And what do you want to manifest for our Latino community? Mm, okay. Well, first of all, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Adalis, for having me. I would like to manifest. And I, I think for me, it's a combo. It's both like what I want to share on and what I want to, ban what I want to manifest is I would love for us to really see how magical and how unique we are, because I feel that if we had that superpower, we could support ourselves, we could be united, we could invite each other to other spaces, mm. we would not consider each other competition, you know, like, I don't think we would run into a scarcity mindset if we could only see that 
you're just great because you're you and nobody else can have what you have. So I feel that would help us to really amplify each other. Oh, salud, Dulce. Salud. Salud. Gracias. Gracias. Qué linda. Thank you for reminding us of just the power in our story, first of all, but also the power of just seeking therapy and the power of having someone to talk to and the reminder that we can sit guilt-free with guilt, los dos, like we can... We can choose the way we want to do it. And I think it's it's powerful to have those reminders, especially in our communities. So thank you for doing the work that you do. I hope that everyone reaches out to you and is looking for a therapist or looking for a resource or looking for a mentor. Thank you, Dulce, for doing this work. Gracias, Jodalis. Thank you. And thank you for your wonderful podcast. I've met amazing people because Aww. of it. And I feel so grateful. Shout out to the people. It's all y'all. You make it. Extra special and extra amazing. Gracias, Jodalis. If y'all are interested in working with Dulce or just having her energy in your life, which I believe everyone needs a Dulce in their life, go to www.dulceorosco.com and find her on LinkedIn. And I'll see y'all next week for more Cafecito and Chisme. For all Hello Latino updates, follow Hello Latino Podcast on Instagram and find me on LinkedIn. There's more information on my website, odalisjasmine.com. Y pues con mucho amor, tu amiga Andreña. Abrazos.